No, 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 Roger, Roger, listen, bud, everyone loves the new rules, alright, don't freak out, I know you get a little antsy whenever you change a rule, because you want everyone to love it, let me tell you, everyone loves these rules, alright, kids, adults, your peers, the baseball players, the writers, the owners, everyone loves them, Roger, alright, you're fine, you're the best commissioner there ever was, and everyone really, really loves the direction you're taking baseball. Okay, the bigger base, it's fantastic. Did you see the photos of it side by side with the smaller base? It looked precisely three inches bigger, Roger. It was perfect. It was excellent. There were so many writers there to take photos. It was all over the internet. Everyone's talking about baseball's new bases. Football, old news. Try an 18-inch base. Maybe throw that out there, huh? Okay, okay, Roger, Roger, it's okay. All right, I have a podcast to do, though, so I got a dip. Great talking to you. Okay. Love you, pal. Love you, pal. We'll catch up next week. All right. Okay. Bye. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Chaos Ball podcast, the only podcast on the internet that has Rob Manfred's cell phone number. Hello. How's everyone doing? Yes, yes, yes. That was Rob Manfred on the phone. As you heard, I was just I was just telling him the new rules are fine. All right. He's kind of freaking out. He makes new rules all the time, and then he kind of just sits in his home and is like, oh man, I hope people like him. Oh, and we love him, don't we, Roger? Don't we? He listens to the podcast too, so he kind of sees it as his his escape from ruling over baseball with the Iron Fist as the MLB commissioner. Uh, He kind of sees it as an escape to, to listen to someone so unqualified talk about baseball. It's refreshing to him, apparently. He sees me as the son he never had. I actually have no idea if Rob Manfred has a family. Uh, I'm pretty certain he was built in a machine, so I don't think they programmed him to have family, but maybe. Maybe he does somewhere. Who knows? But I hope all of you listening to this are doing great. Thanks for tuning in again. Uh, We got not a super loaded pod, you know? This is kind of... One of my last just kind of talk about pods, talk about random stuff that's happening before I get into my season preview podcast, which will be coming out very soon. I will be breaking down each division, going division by division per episode, breaking down uh, all the teams in division, what we can see, what I expect to happen, maybe take some bets on some over-unders on on MLB win totals, potentially. You know, I know it's dicey to bet on the MLB, but... That's why they call it gambling. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today, we're going to get into the new rules, some Mariner stuff, some other stuff that's been happening to baseball. But I really, more importantly, want to get across that my season previews will be coming out soon. Uh, I hopefully will be pumping out one next week and then maybe two a week until the season begins through uh, spring training, late March. So look out for those. Those should be pretty fun. Uh, I've really been been getting down and dirty reading about each team and and listening to to beat writers talk about each of their teams and what they expect this year so i i'm pretty informed from a you know non-credentialed media member i'm pretty informed on what each team is going to be looking for this year spoiler alert every mlb team has good mlb players i'll tell you that much but let's just let's just get into it i'm going to start off with the new rules uh, I had a podcast when these were announced last at the end of last season, and I kind of talked about them. But we know 
they're set in stone now. Uh, there was kind of a new one in the last week that was thrown into the mix, but we, we know all these new rules. Um, we know exactly how they're going to be enforced now as well. Uh, and there's definitely uh, interesting stuff like factoring and projections for for how these will affect uh, league-wide totals, how these will affect individual players and all that. So let's just get into it. The first thing I wanted to say, it's like I'm all for baseball changing the rules to make the game more interesting and stuff, right? How interesting would it be if MLB changed the rules and everyone knew they were changing rules, but they didn't tell anyone what they changed? So, like, the umpires obviously know. The league knows. But, like, no players, no teams, no fans. No one knows what the new rules are until opening day, and then you just kind of got to figure it out. Like, imagine the infield, like, it's opening day. The infield trots out there. The first baseman, you know, is, is throwing balls to, to his infielders, just getting some reps in before the first game of the year. And he's, like, stepping on first base. And he's like, oh, oh man, am I crazy? Or, am I crazy? Or is, is his base bigger? Like, imagine how fun that would be. Like, there's all of a sudden just a clock. Like, obviously, we kind of knew that the MLB was building to putting in a pitch clock. But, like, imagine if now there's just a clock, like, opening day, there's just an insane amount of runs because pitchers have no idea how to work with the pitch clock. It would be fun. You know, it would be hilarious. It would be really fun to speculation. I think the MLB should do it. I think that would be pretty fun. So that's my two cents on the new rules. But now, what are the actual rules? We've discussed. I'm sure you've heard of them. The first one is pretty simple what i just mentioned the pitch clock so been a lot of talk the past past few years about the pitch clock uh they only be introduced in the minors and they found that it took around 20 minutes off game time which is pretty significant uh and especially if that is what mlb wants to do that has been their primary focus is uh, to make the game more interesting to to people across the board they've wanted basically to uh make the game shorter despite the games being roughly the same amount of time as a football game they're like no we need them to be shorter and i'm not i'm all for this honestly like i get games done shorter fine it's like watching a three and a half hour baseball game can be quite boring at times especially for the casual fan like i will sit down and watch baseball all day and find parts of the games even bad games that i enjoy to watch players Fun stuff that happens, you know, listen to commentators, but like the casual fan does not necessarily want to sit down on the front of their TV and watch a three hour baseball game. Going to a baseball game is different, super social event. You don't really have to watch the baseball when you're there, but I think what they're trying to drive is lower game times for higher TV revenue, more viewers and all that. Again, despite the fact that it's the same average time as a football game, uh, people view it as more boring, even though there's also, like, just the same amount of uh, action in a baseball game as there is football. It's just different. So, pitchers will, with this pitch clock, pitchers will have 15 seconds to throw a pitch with the bases empty and 20 seconds with a runner on base. And there's a new rule with pickoffs I'll get into as well. So, hitters will need to be in the batter's box as well with eight seconds on the pitch clock. So, it's not only on the hitters. I think this is actually going to change everyone, how everyone kind of approaches things because. A lot of batters, I don't think it's talked about as much, but a lot of batters take a long time in between pitches to gather themselves, you know, 
hit their cleats, get the dirt off their cleats, spit into their hands, adjust the batting gloves, you know, adjust their cup, uh, it, whatever they need to do. Uh, but they'll need to be in the box with eight seconds left, or they'll be charged a strike. And so vice versa, uh, if a pitcher has not, like, started his motion to deliver a pitch, like, basically hasn't started his, his motion towards the plate uh, before the expiration of the clock, they'll be charged with a ball. So, you know, it's not super catastrophic. I foresee that in the first week or two, we're going to see a lot more people messing up with the clock. But then after that, I'm pretty sure they're going to get used to it. They're professionals. The minor leaguers, I've heard speak about this, basically say that's kind of what happened. Everyone was like, it's a fine rule. You just got to adapt to playing the game. It took us a little while to really get things down. And after after a couple weeks, it's going to be fine. We're not even going to notice it. We're just going to notice that pitchers are working quicker, which honestly makes the game more exciting. There's more action in a shorter amount of time, so I'm not really against this rule. Uh, and I think I've been for the pitch clock for, for a long time now. I think some pitchers just take an exuberant amount of time to throw pitches, and they shouldn't. So I'm for it. From a viewer's standpoint, we're just going to notice games are going to be going by quicker. I think we'll just look up at the score or the inning and be like, oh, wow, it's already the sixth inning. It's only been an hour, an hour and a half. Like sometimes it's two and a half hours to get to the sixth inning and then another hour, hour and a half of game time. So I'm excited to see uh, the uh, the faux pas, the, the mistakes that people make initially with the pitch clock because it will obviously affect everyone league-wide, but it's going to affect guys in different ways depending on their approach to the plate or their approach to pitching. Uh, and there's going to be quite a few guys who would rather not have the pitch clock because they take forever to throw a pitch. And some guys, this won't affect literally at all because they pitch quickly already. So that is the first new rule. And then in tandem with this, they did change the pickoffs. So pickoffs are a version of disengagement from the rubber now they're talking about, <clears throat> which basically means, you know, pickoff attempt, fakes pickoff, steps off the rubber, whatever. Um, request time, defense needs time, whatever. That's a disengagement. So pitchers are now allowed two disengagements per plate appearance without a penalty. So you can step off twice in a plate appearance. You can throw over twice in a plate appearance. But after that, uh, if you step off a third time in the single plate appearance, you'll be charged with a balk. So that's a pretty significant penalty. Uh for not following the rules of disengagement and an important part in this too the disengagement rule resets if a runner or runners advance a base within the same point appearance so if a guy steals a base after your second pickoff attempt you now have two more disengagements to use in that point appearance you can step off twice you can do whatever you want so pretty clear and i also i like this rule uh i think Again, I'm thinking from a casual fan experience here, uh, especially it's one of my pet peeves when you go to a game and a pitcher throws over a couple times and everyone's booing, which I'm not totally against booing. It is part of strategy of the game is throwing over and checking your runners. But again, if you wanted to get more casual fans involved, watching a guy throw to first base five times in a bat before throwing two pitches, it's it's that's pretty boring and not something I'd want to see. Especially because most people at baseball games are casual fans and all of them boo. I've never been at a baseball game. And it has to be obviously the opposite team. So 
if your home team does it and it's the home crowd, you're not going to boo. But if the away team does it, you're going to boo. Okay. That's just how it goes. So I'm not totally against this rule. I think it's going to be super interesting to watch the dynamics after, after like you have a speedster on, on first base, you got Trey Turner on first base. You pick off twice. You don't get him. Let's say, let's say it's a, uh, it's a one-on-one count. Now, you know, he can take a bigger lead because you can't pick off. Do you pitch out now? Are there going to be more pitch outs? Uh, I want to say there's going to be more catchers throwing over to first base which I think is super interesting and maybe will uh, affect catcher throwing run numbers, you know, down the line. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how players adapt to this rule. Pitchers, especially after they know they can't go over more than twice. And it's just, uh, it's tough to keep a man off first after he knows you can't throw over to him again if you've already done it twice. So super interesting, super interesting stuff. But those are the new rules of uh, quote disengagement that the MLB has put across, and I think it's interesting. Uh, two is is pretty little for a plate appearance, but again, I'm like, I totally understand not wanting to see a guy throw over six times in one at bat. Like, it, it's pretty boring. So this rule goes is pretty well in tandem with the pitch clock. Uh, I believe stepping off also resets the pitch clock, so even if like no one's on, the rules of disengagement affect the pitcher because now they can only step off twice uh, to reset the pitch clock or something. So interesting stuff. Very interesting stuff here. Uh, the other third rule that I will be talking about is the shift changes. So this has been phrased as, quote, banning the shift, which is not exactly what this does. So I will read the rules by the book here. So at the time a pitch is thrown, all four infielders are required to be on the infield dirt or infield grass, just infield and not outfield grass, uh, with two on each side of second base. Players will be able to move as soon as the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. So originally infielders who began the game on one side of the field would not be allowed to switch to the other side for the entirety of the game. But that was revised to just each inning. So there's unless there's a mid-inning substitution. So you can move a guy around the infield during a game now, which when they came out with this rule, they basically said if you're playing on the left side, uh, if you're playing shortstop, you have to remain on that side for the rest of the game, no matter what defensive changes you want to make, which I'm glad they revised this rule. I think that's that was pretty uh, that was pretty tough to, to say. Like, you you want to move a guy around from second to shortstop sometimes in a game. So... I'm glad they got rid of that. Um, but in other words, they have to remain on their side of the infield for the inning, but they can reset it next inning. Uh, and of course, if there's like an injury in the middle of the inning, throw the rules out. You can move guys wherever you want if there's an injury in the middle of the inning. So how the rule is going to be enforced. So if the hitting team reaches base and runners advance on a ball hit, Basically, under the violation, uh, the game proceeds without penalties. So if the play has any other consequence, like an out, a sacrifice, etc., the hitting team can decide either to accept the penalty of, like, let's say they started running before the guy left, or for, before the pitcher threw his pitch, the shortstop left and, and was running already to the other side of the infield. That's a violation. So if the hitting team gets a hit, 
They can just be like, okay, whatever, who cares? If it's an out, they can accept the penalty, which would just add a ball to the hitter's count. Um, and obviously, so you can either decline it or just have a, a ball. So, I mean, it, it's not a total ban of the shift, right? Because you can still move your infielders wherever you want on their side of the base. Really what this presents prevents is putting that second baseman in right field and having the shortstop kind of play second base and the third baseman play shortstop, which I'm okay with. Uh, like Sometimes you, you get a line drive into that shift right into right field at the second baseman, and it's caught for an out. Off the bat, it's just like automatically in my head. It's always a hit, but it hasn't been the past few years, so I'm honestly glad that won't happen again. Uh, I'm not like a proponent of just banning the shift because I generally do think it's strategy. Uh, but teams will still shift. There will still be uh, the shortstop and the third baseman will shift over when there's a lefty pull hitter up because the analytics will still support shortstop needs to be as up the middle as possible. So I still think we're going to see some shifting, especially basically just putting shortstop right on the left side of third base or second base, like as close as he can possibly be to that bag, he will be. And as close as he can possibly be to the grass, they will be, they're going to stretch the rules as far as I can go. And it's not going to completely revitalize some, some guys, some lefties, but it's definitely going to give some guys a lot more hits lefty pole side, especially just in the right field where that second baseman would have been. So I'm intrigued to see how teams handle it. Uh, the shift rules, the new shift rules do not outline outfielders at all. So you could theoretically bring an outfielder as an extra infielder. You could shift your, what I'm interested to see is if you, you a really heavy lefty pull hitter that never hits the ball to left field. You, you shift your right fielder to basically standing on the, on the dirt in between first and second. And now you have everywhere covered on that side. Like you shift the shortstop to basically second base, the third baseman to shortstop. The second baseman can kind of remain where he is, but now you have your right fielder basically on the dirt. And then you shift your left fielder to center and your center fielder to right. Like I'm wondering if we're going to see stuff like that. If anyone's going to do that, it'll be the Astros. They have shift, shifted the most heavily the past few years. The Astros, the Rays. Uh, I just... I'm interested to see. I don't, I don't hate this when when it, they announced they were banning the shift. I was kind of apprehensive because I didn't know exactly what that meant. But these new rules, I'm fine with because they're still going to be shifting around just within the parameters of the new rule. So I'm I'm good with it. I'm good with it. I think it's going to give uh, more offense in general to the league, which I'm pro more offense. And then speaking of more offense, the last rule change at least the ones that they announced last year that they're official. Now the size of the new bases is increased from 15 to 18 inches. So what this means, marginally increasing steals, uh, extra base hits. Maybe it's just, it, there's just slightly more chance. You're going to leg out that infield hit. You're going to slide in there to second under the, under the tag and the throw from the catcher on a steal. Like, it's not going to dramatically change how we watch the game or even I don't even th I don't think we're going to notice it at all, uh, especially the photos of 
the base next to the original base, the bigger base next to the base last year was just so funny looking because it's like, oh, wow, it's three inches bigger. There's nothing else to say about that. It's clearly three inches bigger. Cool. Uh, and all the beat writers huddled around the new bases taking photos was awesome just because it, it just looked very funny to me. Uh, and it was like, okay, cool. I honestly, I didn't need to see a comparison or at least make the comparison more fun or something. Screw it. Make the base 25 inches. See if I care. See it. Make, make 60 steel seasons. Great again. Come on, come on. No, I will. I'll be intrigued to see after like one or two seasons to, uh, to see if the saloon base numbers tick up a bit. Uh, they're projected to, but not by like a huge margin. So I wouldn't expect, uh, like a Julio who's projected, I want to say for, for 20 ish steals again to get like 30. I think it's more like here and there you'll, you'll pick up an extra one or two here and there. Cause the base is a little bit bigger. So that was the least sexy change, but one that I think marginally will increase offense and, uh, base running. So again, not a bad rule change here, Rob. And then the one they announced like last week is the, uh, the new position player pitching guidelines rules. So under the old rules, your team had to be up by six and then you could put one in. But now leading teams in a game have to be up by 10 or more in the ninth inning in order to let a position player pitch. And the trailing team can use a position player anytime they're down by eight or more runs. And position players are, are allowed to pitch any time in extra innings. So if it goes to extras, you could see any position players pitching, even though you probably wouldn't, unless in the top half you get you get just destroyed and is like, well, we're not gonna win this. Why trot out another reliever for the bottom? I don't I don't know. I don't think we'll see very many pitching in the extra innings. I think I think people have kind of gotten tired of the position players pitching. Like it was really fun those first couple seasons where it started happening more and more. Cause it's like, Oh, position player pitching. Like it's cool. They're throwing crazy 40 mile an hour. EFIS pitches up there like Zach Ranky, but I, I just like, whatever it, uh, me, I've even lost some of the fanfare of it. I think a lot of people are just like, Ugh, another position player pitching. Like it's been a lot super oversaturated the past couple seasons. So I'm, I'm honestly okay with this. I think, I think the, the dawn of the long reliever needs to rise again. I think the long reliever has fallen out of style and I think it needs to come back. I think the ways of small ball baseball, long relievers, I think they're going to have a Renaissance the next like decade or two with new rules, changing how we play the game. So this one was new announced recently to, little to no pushback. I was wondering who asked for this, but I honestly think it's a pretty good proactive rule change given the uptick of position player pitching we've seen. And I would much rather watch a real pitcher up there uh, with the exception of Ichiro. I think Ichiro should be allowed to pitch whenever he wants because he is honestly a pretty decent pitcher. So that's it for the new rules. The new rules, the new rules segment. It's over. I will get back to Rob about your guys' feedback on the new rules. If you need me to tell him anything, if it's urgent, hit my email up, d 
DM me on Twitter. I will get in Rob's pocket, all right? I have that kind of pull in the commissioner's office. Just let me know. But now is the time when I hit on just a couple of things that have been happening in Seattle Mariners world. So, pitchers and catchers, they've reported. Players are starting to trickle in. Smell that? Smell that? Smells like baseball again, baby. Smells like the baseball season. There's Twitter's Twitter's littered with beat writers tweeting out bullpen sessions and uh, and live one v ones of your favorite prospects and your superstars, uh, batting cages, workouts, pictures of Ichiro and Julio talking to each other. It's baseball is back. Spring training's picking up, and that just means injuries are coming because Taylor Trammell broke his hand. He was hit by a pitch. During a workout pre, like not even in spring training, it was pre-spring training workout. He got hit by a pitch in his hand. He's expected to have surgery on it. It's his right hand, throwing hand. Uh, and is expected to, to need six to seven weeks to recover. So already off the bat, not great news coming out of Mariners camp. Because anyone close to baseball, if you ask them what the biggest weakness on the Mariners is right now, it's left field, obviously. Taylor Trammell being the third guy coming into spring training, probably vying for that spot with the Kelnick um, Pollock platoon that DePoto has said has been going on. But Trammell, like Kelnick, has top prospect pedigree. He has shown flashes. He honestly didn't look that bad at the end of last season uh, and easily could usurp Jared as the lead um, left fielder against right-handed pitching going forward, but now it's Jared and Pollock out there with, with Trammell probably missing two months, maybe a month to start the season, like six to seven weeks. And a conservative estimate, I'm going to say he gets back in eight weeks, but could be longer. So maybe he misses all of all of March, the rest of this month, and then probably the first week or two of the regular season, I guess. I don't, and then who knows, like what that, what that broken hand will will do going forward. Even if it's a hundred percent healthy, he's gonna miss spring training, which is brutal. Uh, I'm sure he's been ramping up all off season, and obviously he got hurt, you know, in a in a workout, like clearly hitting. But he's going to miss the spring training, like working with coaches, working with the team, getting real at-bats against big league players in the spring training, like honing the swing, tweaking the swing. Like He's going to miss all that, so he's just going to start the season kind of behind everyone else, which I'm sure he'll start I'm sure he'll start in AAA now just to, to ramp up a little bit, I guess. I don't know. It's just it's tough that he got hurt because it's – the weakest and least deep position on the team, especially like the fourth outfielder spot was Tramiel's to lose. And it still kind of is with Haggerty in the mix for, for outfield as well and Dylan Moore, but still it, it was a weak position and now it's even weaker with Tramiel getting hurt. Again, points to maybe they should have done something else in here, but I'm glad they signed Pollock at least for this. And uh, on the topic of left field, I'll get it out of the way. Jared Kelnick, he looks great, looks in shape, swing looks pretty good. I've heard a lot of good things about what he did in the offseason. There was an article I want to say in the Seattle Times by it was Divish or Larry Stone that was like he's was quote, he's he his words, he was a sponge this offseason. He worked with a lot of coaches, 
tweaked his swing. Uh, I want to say he went to driveline to, to do stuff with his swing, but seems like he's super determined along with the coaching staff to just kind of get his swing and offensive approach correct because he has the ability, he has the talent, he's shown flashes that he can hit the fucking piss out of the ball. Uh, the approach has just been lacking. The swing needed some tweaks. I think entering this season, he'll be super motivated, which will only help him in certain ways. But it'll be interesting to see how he starts the year. Uh, I think if he starts the year in a slump, or not even in a slump, I shouldn't say in a slump. You can't start the year in a slump necessarily if you've never hit over, you know, two. 14 in your career but if he starts off slow again that is a crucial point in his career where does he want to continue working at it or not uh but he also what if he comes out just swinging what if he comes out confident hitting hitting the ball nice like at this point we're not asking for much from jared kelnick we're just asking for at least league average production from left field which would be a plus so that's all I got to say on Kelnick for now in the left field situation, but tough to hear for Taylor Trammell. Get better soon, sir. Uh, six to seven weeks is not too bad. It's just tough that this just happened right before spring training. So hoping for, for Taylor's smooth recovery here. And then there's just one other thing from the Mariners before I get into some broader MLB shit. Uh, arbitration happened. The Mariners were the winners of their case with Teoscar Hernandez, uh, the panel, the arbitration panel ruled that Teoscar will earn $14 million this season. He was asking for $16 million, so $2 million. Eh, you know, it's, it's a decent gap for arbitration. Uh, but again, you know, what was said in that meeting? What was said to Teoscar after basically talking him up so much after trading for him, DePoto's and Hollinger and the whole team have been like yeah this is the guy like this is a guy who's going to anchor the middle of the lineup uh give us professional bats play fill in that right field for mitch hanniger who left uh, and kind of jump start the offense and and give us a bigger offensive floor and ceiling than it was last year with with what our right field situation was last year and there's been nothing but praise for him and then you go into arbitration and the Mariners win it with $2 million less. Like what was said? Did like, did it rub Teoscar the wrong way? Will this affect a possible extension down the line? Will it affect how Teoscar plays this season? I doubt it. I doubt that, but players don't like arbitration. Uh, and I feel like this season they've been more vocal about it, particularly, uh, I don't want to say they've, it's been Corbin Burns, but I know he shares the same sentiment as a lot of the players. Corbin Burns and the Brewers, I believe he lost his arbitration case, but it was like less than a million dollars was the difference between what the Brewers wanted to pay him and what Corbin Burns was uh, demanding from arbitration. And it's like, is it really worth bad ill will, like just bad vibes? Is, is it worth it? Like, why not just pay the guy what he wants, especially when it's less than a million dollars? Like, come on. He was super vocal about how going forward, I mean, he's probably, he's not going to be a brewer after his contract expires, essentially is what he's saying, just because of the things that they said in that meeting to, to diminish his value, so they'd have to pay him slightly less. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is just like pointless. So what did the Mariners say to Teoscar? I'd love to know. Hoping it doesn't really affect uh, extension talks, but I don't know. Maybe it will. I really hope they they extend him and, and prove me wrong. But that was not super encouraging news that the Mariners ended up winning the arbitration case by $2 million. Because whatever they said, even if they were right, Teoscar still could have taken it like, oh, okay, you don't want to pay me what I'm asking. You don't think I'm worth this. You think I'm worth this for whatever reason. Eh, you know, it's the start of, you know, maybe he just doesn't want to resign with the way they treated him. I don't know. I don't know. So many things in sports, particularly baseball arbitration, is uh, something we'll never understand the nuances of unless you were actually in the room negotiating, and we'll never actually know what was said. So, moving on from the Mariners to some stuff that has happened in Major League Baseball since I last potted. So, recently, Elvis Andrews signed with the White Sox. I will get into it more in my season previews, but obviously uh, Tim Anderson at this point in his career, we know what he is and we know he will miss time and they needed a backup that wasn't Lurie Garcia because Lurie Garcia is busy backing up seven other different positions. So this gives them a pretty steady veteran backup at short, you know, not a flashy signing, but something that will be useful to them, especially because they had like Romy Gonzalez. I want to say took some, some play at shortstop last year when Tim Anderson was hurt and he came up as a second baseman. Like it just gives you a better option for a backup here is, is, is the point. So go off Elvis Andrews. Uh, the other signing that happened that was notable is Michael Walker signed with the Padres, uh, which like the Padres have a ridiculous amount of big league players on their roster now. And like, I don't know how they're all going to fit into the team. Especially now, it creates a little bit of interesting stuff for that fifth starter spot where, like, Seth Lugo and Nick Martinez were, were in the mix. And now you throw Michael Waka in there as uh, a depth starter who had a good year last year. I don't really know exactly what to make of him going forward because of the age and just, like, out of nowhere, he had a really good season last year. So if he can continue that this year with the Padres, that's a, that's a fantastic depth starter. I think at worst... It's just another guy who will make some starts when when stars get hurt. I it's again, it's not a super flashy signing. It's just, I'm surprised he didn't go to a team that needs uh more of a fifth starter, you know. So interesting stuff, especially with the Padres. They just seem so willing to spend as much money as possible to win, which is awesome. But again, their depth chart is cluttered with major league talent. So intrigued to see what happens there uh but yeah michael walker down in san diego speaking of san diego there was some manny machado news that came out he said he was going to opt out of his contract after this season so if you don't recall manny machado signs a 10-year 300 million dollar deal in 2019 with the padres one of the richest contracts in major sports in the country until you know the past couple of years but there was an opt-out after the fifth season which would be this season and he said basically he's going to opt out 
He'd be dumb not to. I'm sure the Padres expected him to opt out after the seasons he's had with them. Uh, so he basically leaves. He leaves five years, $150 million left on the table opting out. But he's going to easily get more than $150 million this offseason, like at least 200 plus. Obviously, if he remains healthy, but like I can't even see a world where he gets hurt this year and doesn't get more than $150 million in the offseason. Look at what happened this offseason. Like he's going to be 31 at the start of free agency next year. Uh, so he probably will be seeking double digit years. Like Judge is 30, got nine years. Bogart's 30, got 11. And, and Trey Turner's 29 and got 11. Like he honestly might sign the same deal he did in 2019, like 10 for 300, but just five years later, which is insane. Like imagine he signs he ten for three hundred, opts out after the fifth year, signs another ten for three hundred fully guaranteed. Like that'd be crazy. I think it just that speaks a lot to the market conditions and and what happened this offseason. Then he's actually improved his offensive numbers a bit since agreeing to that deal, uh, which is pretty crazy because he agreed to that deal as one of the league's best hitters, and he's only improved on that. Uh, MVP type season last year, huge part of their the Padres run to the NL. CS and uh I'm I just the Padres are in an interesting situation because they obviously seem to not have a problem spending money despite their mid to small market status, which I know makes other owners pretty pissed. It's like, hey, you're allowed to spend money in a small market? No way. No way. That's impossible. But with him opting out, I'm sure they're gonna want to keep him. He's been a huge part of the team, not only on the field, but like culturally in the clubhouse. He's an awesome dude. He connects with a lot of his teammates, clearly. Like he's homies with Tatis and and, and Bogarts, it seems like, and Juan Soto. And how they're going to want to keep him because I know they love him down there in San Diego. He was, he was like the, the guy where the Padres fans, I want to say, were like, oh, oh shit, the. The front office, the owner, they mean business. 10 for 300 for Manny Machado, awesome. Like He was that first, like, oh, oh, my God, it's awesome signing. So they'll want to retain him, but he's going to want a similar Bogarts-type deal. They have Juan Soto hitting the market in, uh, in two years. They got another round of arbitration with him after this season, and then they have him as an undra- or, uh, uh, unrestricted free agent and then they also have Blake Snell, who hits restricted or unrestricted free agency after this season as well. So, will they extend Snell? Will they extend Machado? Well, they uh, they can't extend Machado. They're gonna have to wait for him to opt out, and then try to re-sign him. Uh, but I can see him going east. I can see him going to I don't know Phillies, Mets, Yankees. Dodgers, Dodgers aren't in the East, but maybe the Dodgers, I don't know, maybe the Marlins, no, I'm just kidding, I don't know where he goes, and I don't know how they're going to handle this, because their payroll's huge, a lot of future commitments, those are guys they're going to want to keep, I don't know, that's a complicated situation they got, but they got a pretty banging team right now, so... Not much to worry about until the offseason happens, but maybe they maybe they extend Snell with a little incentives-based extension, you know, with his health problems, but he's still been a good pitcher when he pitches, so maybe they work out a little team-friendly, 
potentially longer term with incentives deal for Blake Snell and then manage to hang on to Machado and then just let Soto go. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. If they resign Machado, Snell, and Soto in the next two years, Rob Manfred is going to have to do some some David Stern type shit and just not allow that. And he's like, no, small to mid-market size team. Not allowed. Not allowed. You can't spend that much money. It's against the rules. You need to be a rich team to spend money like that. But we'll see. It's intriguing. It's intriguing, and I will be keeping an eye on it, on the San Diego Padres finances. Be looking at like a hawk. But that is kind of it for the Padres. I'm done talking about the Padres. Just a couple other things. Uh, Judge was, Aaron Judge was getting some play at first base, it looks like. So this makes sense in my eyes. I think they could use a backup to Anthony Rizzo. Maybe a platoonish type situation there. Uh, Judge, I mean, his defense plays pretty well in right field at Yankee Stadium specifically. So maybe he first bases uh, slash DHs on the road. Maybe this is just to transition him from outfield to first base slash DH to extend his career a little bit and his keep his legs fresh for that new nine nine years he's got with the Yankees. Uh, I mean, it kind of shifts the infield a little bit if he can be the backup first baseman in it. Like DJ LeMay, who doesn't have to play first base backup anymore. They don't have to put Judge in center field. I guess. I don't know. I think anything but avoiding him in center field is a good idea. And I feel like Judge's natural progression of a ball player is going from right field to first base slash DH by nature of his size uh, and just how much he can mash. He's like such a first baseman DH type. But he plays in the outfield, and his outfield's pretty good in right field the Yankee Stadium. He doesn't really have to jump to rob a home run because the porch is, you know, three feet high over there, basically. Uh, and he has a rocket arm that plays in right field too. But there was videos of him taking reps at first for at the Yankees camp. So intrigued to see as we go on the season what happens there. Because Yankees first base has been weird. Anthony Rizzo really was awesome last year and they extended him for it. Which is good. Good for Anthony Rizzo. But on a Rizzo rest, a Rizzo injury, they need Judge to play first. Like they don't have... Luke Voigt anymore like I'm sure they'd rather play DJ at second he can back up third as well uh yeah Luke Voigt's gone like their first baseman situation has been interesting in the past few years like Greg Bird I feel like people thought was going to be that dude and then just was not but it's interesting I I feel like everyone's probably expecting him to do two first base DH for the last half of his career so just getting a jump start on it for sure being proactive Yankees way to go uh, on the Yankees, Frankie Montas has gotten hurt. He needs shoulder surgery, and he might be out for the whole year, which throws a little bit of a wrench into the back half of the Yankees rotation. Uh, with Montas as your fifth starter, that was basically a shoe-in for top rotation in baseball, and now it's a little up in the air with guys on the back end of that rotation because it's kind of a fall-off. Now you have, like, Luis Heel, I, I like a lot, uh, but he's been hurt and inconsistent. Uh, Domingo Herman, same kind of deals. Inconsistency. They're not terrible. Five options. Um, I feel like uh, if they knew this, 
like a couple weeks ago. Maybe they throw some money at Michael Walker to be that fifth starter. I don't know. This just sucks for Montas. Sucks for the Yankees because they traded for him and he was fine for them. And him as like their fifth starter would have been amazing. But now there's a little bit more of a question mark in the Yankees rotation. And maybe they won't be the best rotation in baseball because of this. I don't know. Just that is huge news. And we'll see how they handle it. See how they handle it. Another injury that happened. Can you uh, believe this? Jacob deGrom is hurt again. Kind of, I guess. He's like feeling tightness in his back, obliques, whatever, because of the cold, because of how cold it is in Arizona right now, I guess. Uh, I don't know. How much have we heard in his career? Oh, he's just slightly hurt. He's fine, though. He's throwing. Like, come on. We've heard that a million, a million goddamn times with Jacob deGrom. Uh, this is the least surprising news ever. The Rangers signed him knowing this is how Jacob deGrom is, man. He pitches. He's the best pitcher on the planet. He doesn't pitch a lot these days. Uh, it's just crazy. Pitchers and catchers reported, and then basically immediately it's like, oh, Jacob deGrom's kind of hurt. But we're feeling optimistic about it. It's like, okay, all right. I'm sure Mets fans are are just dying right now. They're like, oh, okay, of course. Uh, welcome Rangers fans. Welcome to the Jacob Degrom experience. He's slightly hurt. We're confident about him. Oh, ooh, ooh, out for six weeks. Ooh, man, from a little injury that they were confident was fine. That it's too appropriate for Jacob Degrom to be already kind of hurt after pitchers and catchers report. So that is what's happening in baseball. I will not talk about anything else. I might do a WBC preview pod. We'll see if I can squeeze that in with my uh, season previews. I'll do a season preview award show even. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on these these next six-ish weeks before the season starts. But I can't believe we got six weeks till the season starts. I'm so hyped. Like, I can go on Twitter every day now and watch fun bullpen videos. I watched Bryce Miller throw some fastballs and sliders the other day. I watched Julio... Uh, take who was it Isaiah Campbell yard today on a curveball he threw him three straight curveballs which Isaiah Campbell's got a good curveball but buddy can't do that to Julio uh, I saw Jared Kelnick hit a bomb like I can go on Twitter and watch all the little baseball videos I want depending on the team and the beat writer it's fantastic I love it I'm so excited for baseball season and I just can't wait to start doing these preview pods because I can't wait to make predictions about a ridiculous sport like baseball that is unpredictable at most of points of the season so i'm excited about that i hope you're excited as well but with that i will be signing off thank you so much if you're listening this far please rate and review recommend to your friends let them know again hit me up for any rob manfred related banter because i will call him i will call him and give him my mind but on your behalf i'll do it Uh, But thank you again for listening. Have a good rest of your day. Go Mariners. Go spring training. Please thank your local beat writer for taking all these videos with their phones with their busy spring training schedule. Uh, But with that, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.